You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Her Money, our mailbag overfloweth yet again, which is wonderful. We love it when we get lots of questions and emails from you, but sometimes just gets to the point where Kelly and I feel like there are a lot and it's time that we take a little bit of extra time to answer them. And so that is what we're doing today. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Jean. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for all of your questions. I just wanted to second that. And our first question is from Nancy. She writes, we are moving to Florida and my husband wants to retire. Do we buy a home for cash up to 200000 or do we get a mortgage? My daughter is 18 and will be going to college in Florida. I don't know what to do. What do you think she should do? <sighs> I think that it depends where you are in your stage of life. I'm a big fan, and we've talked about this before, of retiring the mortgage when you retire yourself. Just because it makes things a little bit easier if you're in the phase of life where you know your income is going to start dropping off, that you don't have to worry about what, for many people, is the largest expense in your budget. Doesn't sound, though, like Nancy is retiring. I mean, if your your daughter's heading off to college, and I know we all are having kids a little bit later, but it sounds to me like you're perhaps heading to Florida for a job or some other opportunity. And so I would look at your other uses for that money and the cost of that money compared to a mortgage. Things as we record this are a little up in the air as far as the mortgage deduction, but you're well in range to receive a deduction for a mortgage of that size. I would say you're comparing the cost to you of a mortgage at about 4% minus the tax deduction, which is probably the cost of this money would be about 3%. So you got to ask yourself, if I invest that money, could I get an after-tax return that's greater than 3%? And over the long haul, I think the answer to that question has to be yes. And so I probably would take a mortgage and invest the money in some other diversified way. Okay, now we have one from Lindsay who just started listening to the podcast with her husband, and we love hearing that couples are listening to this together. Yes, we do. And I'd like to share a quick note before her question. She writes, The show has inspired me to watch the money and feel motivated by the progress with my retirement funds, and it's challenged my husband and I to get serious about automating our payments. Every month we found ourselves frantically checking the accounts when bills were due like a game of hot potato. Now we have the set it and forget it formula down. That's great. It's it's a good way to that. put it. Yeah. yeah, I like that. I wanted to share it. Her question, hoping you can speak to folks who are married with student loans and filing separate. I have a ton of student loans and combining my husband's income would not allow me to benefit from the income-based repayments in hopes of public service loan forgiveness down the line. I also recently opened up a Roth IRA, but a colleague mentioned this may not be an option since I'm filing separate, hoping I won't face any penalties. What is she talking about? I don't see why 
she would be penalized for opening up a Roth IRA. These should be two very separate things. Uh, Lindsay, I'm so sorry that I'm not an accountant, but I would say this is a good time to pick up the phone and get a consultation from an actual accountant or an enrolled agent. And an enrolled agent is often less expensive than a CPA. It's somebody who has generally worked for the IRS before they hung out a shingle to prepare people's taxes. And so if you're looking for a very knowledgeable tax preparer, an enrolled agent can be a very good way to go. It's also possible that if you and your husband sit down with a program like TurboTax, it would be knowledgeable enough to answer these questions for you. But I think a personal consultation in this instance makes a lot of sense. Now, one from DeRay. She's wondering about an intensive care policy she's had for over 12 years. She writes, now that I'm retired, I'm wondering if I should keep it. What is your opinion on this type of specialty insurance? So, DeRay, I think it's a good idea to take a step back and look at what you're trying to cover for in general. An intensive care policy is a policy that will cover you if you are hospitalized, if you end up in an intensive care unit. And generally, it'll give you a benefit of a couple thousand dollars a day, depending on how it's written. The overarching question that you got to look at is, what are you covered for in terms of health care overall? And are you doubling up? You may be depending on what your overarching healthcare policy looks like. You may also not be. The world of healthcare is very convoluted these days and very confusing these days. And as we're in the open enrollment period, it bears looking at does my overall health insurance policy actually give me the benefits that I would need if I was hospitalized, or does it not? There are a lot of people right now who will find themselves in this uncomfortable window of being unable to afford a policy on one of the exchanges um, because they are not subsidized. People who generally earn more than 48000 as individuals, more than about twice that if they're a family, family of two, three, or four, and yet not able to afford one of those policies based on their own salary. If you're in that particular scenario, then buying a short-term policy as well as a hospitalization policy, an indemnity policy, or an intensive care policy that would give you some sort of benefit if you need this sort of stepped-up care can make sense. But my preference is to see if you can get a comprehensive policy that will serve your overall needs instead. Does that make sense? It does. When you said doubling up is when it clicked for me. Yeah, it, it's 
again, it is really, really complicated. We had a guest named Nate Purpura on talking about open enrollment. He's from a company called eHealth, which sells policies like intensive policies. And if you didn't listen to that podcast, I would say it's worth a listen and it may answer some of your questions in greater depth. Especially for open enrollment right now. Yep. Okay, one from Barbara. Her and her husband are shopping for a car for him for work. And she says she's losing sleep over this decision. Why? Yeah, she says right now he's using a 13-year-old car that we've recently had to put money into for repairs. I currently drive a lease. However, a lease for him doesn't make sense because of the mileage he puts on driving to work. Got it. And we do not want to put up any cash, so we will finance it. And here is our dilemma. In six months, we can purchase the leased car I drive for approximately 16000 It will be a three-year-old Honda CRV with possibly 13,000 miles. We just saw a 2013 Subaru Outback with 90,000 miles for a 16000 My husband will be retiring in a year or two, and we have so many monthly payments, it scares me to take on another one. What do you think they should do? Can you give me the details one more time on that Honda versus the Subaru? Sure. So... The car she's currently leasing, they could purchase soon. and For how much? 16000 And it's three years old with approximately 13,000 miles on it. Versus a Subaru with 90,000 miles for the same amount of money? For 16000 Oh, yep, for the same amount of money. They're both 16000 Okay, Barbara, I totally get why this is stressing you out, because you don't want your husband to break down on the road. But the money that you've already put into his car is a sunk cost. You already did it. So my advice would be have him continue to drive that car and hope that he can drive it for the next six months. When you're comparing buying out your lease, which will have 13,000 miles on it, which with buying out this Subaru at 90,000 miles, that seems to me like apples and watermelons. It seems <laughs> like, you know, two things that are so incredibly different. I wouldn't even think about that Subaru. I would just focus on getting him to the point where he could buy out your leased car. And if you know that you're going to buy it anyway, You may come to a point over the next six months where you could just have him drive your car and you could drive his car if you are required to drive less far during a particular day. I'd work it that way. And and it seems like the car that you've been leasing will be a good deal. And then you can continue to drive that car for potentially 100,000 additional miles. That's what I do. Now one from Francesca. I love this. Queen Jean. I have an idea and I want to know if it exists already or if you think this is a viable option. I want an app that does roundups of purchases a la Acorns or analyzes a person's spending a la Digit and takes those roundups or small amounts that works towards paying off your credit card debt. Automating my saving has changed my life and I want to help people who are struggling to find their way out of credit card debt. Does something like this exist? I'm raising my hand. Kelly's raising her hand because Kelly just came back from a personal finance convention called FinCon. Mm -hmm. And did you see an app like this at FinCon? Francesca, I did. So someone is doing this right now, but that doesn't mean that the space is too small for you to come up with your own different app. But it's called Coins, and it's spelled 
Q-O-I-N-S. And it's essentially Acorns for paying off your credit card debt. It rounds up your purchases on your debit card. And wherever you tell those roundups to go, it'll send your money and it'll start paying down your debt. It's really cool. It struck a chord with me because like you, I was wondering why isn't somebody doing this yet? I'm not quite sure how many different types of debt you can pay off. And then when I say types, I mean credit card, student loan, other personal loans. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what the variety is, but I would check them out and see if this is something you'd like to start using and then also use as inspiration for starting your own app. Yeah, and we've talked before about the fact that ideas don't have to be brand new in order to succeed. Most of them just have to be tweaked. Mm -hmm. And if you can come up with some sort of fabulous tweak on this idea that does it better, well, then I think you might have something there. Very cool. Good luck, Francesca. And if you start using it, please let us know because we haven't tried it out yet. Our next one is from Jen and similar to apps. She's using Mint to track her finances and she's been receiving notices that she's using over 30% of her credit some months. And she thinks this can negatively impact her credit score. She writes, my husband and I recently got a rewards credit card and put all of our monthly expenses on it and pay it off each month. If I don't want this to impact my credit as much, should I call some of my credit card companies and request to have the limits raised knowing that I'll never need it anyways? I have an excellent credit score, so should I even worry about this? So the way this works in terms of utilization, and it's a problem when you're putting all of your spending on one card, is that utilization is figured on your credit cards collectively and individually. And so if you are loading up one card so that you're way above that 30% of your limit on that card, that's not helping you either. So I'd say two things. First, check your credit score. And if your credit score is fine and you are not applying for any big loans in the near future, and when I say big loans, I'm talking about mortgages and I'm talking about car loans, then I would just not worry about this. I would just put it out of your mind and go about your daily business. If, though, you see it impacting your score, then I'd go to that rewards card, and that's the one where I would request the credit line increase, knowing that you're not going to use it. The other thing that you can do, and I do this personally when I know that my utilization is creeping up on a particular card each month, because I'm like you, I, I spend based on the type of rewards that I'm trying to earn for whatever great vacation I'm trying to plan next, pay the card twice a month. Just make a second payment. The balance will reset and you'll be fine. I didn't know that it was utilization on each card that you have as well. Yes, collectively and And individually. individually. I have not been giving that advice to people who ask me about utilization. So now you know. And we'll end this bonus episode with a question from Nicole, a longtime listener and reader. She says, for the past two years, I have debated between an HSA and my regular PPO plan with a flexible spending account. I have chosen the latter over the last two years, mostly for lack of knowledge and fear that if I got sick or in an accident that the HSA wouldn't be as good. I now think that I was potentially short-sighted. I'm 38 years old and pregnant, due in March, and the baby will be covered under my insurance. As I go through my elections this year, what should I choose? what is best for both the short and long term. So it really depends on how you use healthcare. As somebody who's had two kids, one of whom needed medical care shortly after birth, 
I'd feel better about the PPO until you get through the pregnancy. But once you get through the pregnancy, going with an HSA if you believe that your healthcare utilization will be fairly minimal can be a good way to stash some additional money in an account that can grow not just for this year's medical costs, but for the future. And understand that you will, assuming that this is a policy that is um, cost-effective based on your employer's menu of policies, potentially save yourself some out-of-pocket money as well. So look at your overall cost of healthcare in the first, say, six months after the baby is born, and then based upon that, compare what it would cost you each year to go with an HSA versus going with the PPO-FSA combination and make the decision next year rather than this year. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, everyone, for your questions. And good luck, Nicole. Congratulations on the baby. And thank you, Jean. Oh, thank you, Kelly. This has been fun. Just a reminder to everyone, we want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX, and we'll talk soon.